Welcome to the Polymer Science Podcast. I am Dr. Alicia Buetes. And I'm Jacob Sheppen. In this podcast, we'll be speaking to researchers from around the world and talk to them about how their work is improving our daily lives. I hope you enjoy our conversation and that you learn something new. Hello everyone, today we are talking to Monica Snowden from Canada. She has a PhD in organic nanomaterials and a postdoctoral fellowship in mechanical engineering. She is also a lead product developer for the company Waterpyrus, and she's a co-host on the I Am Nano podcast. We, me and my co-host, Jacob Sheckman, who joined me on this episode, spoke to her about her academic career, what drives and motivates her to do so well and to focus on the specific work that she focuses on in nanotechnology, and what made her so passionate about nanotechnology in the first place. We also spoke to her about her PhD work and learned more about the antiviral formulations that she's working on currently, and also just in general learned more about her career path. So welcome, Monica Snowden, to the Polymer Science Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Firstly, let's just start with the first question that I really want to know, since I found out that you are a co-host of a podcast yourself. Um, how did you start this podcast? Uh, what made you begin to record a podcast in the first place, especially regarding nanotechnology and chemistry? Yeah, so that's a great question. So thank you very much for inviting me and having me on your show. And so the inspiration for the podcast I have, which is I Am Nano, basically it is um, what I wanted to do is that whenever I was listening to music, I felt like I wasn't really learning anything out of it. And so I wanted to something, okay, I'll have a couple of songs and then I want something where I can learn from and, but it'll be quick. It wouldn't be too heavy because a lot of the learning podcasts are you know half an hour 45 minutes maybe an hour and it's like difficult to sort of pay attention to that and so I wanted a method to kind of give me information but in a simple and quick way and then I could okay kind of digest that and then go kind of go back to my regular chores or uh, back to my usual research tasks or if they're kind of like mundane when you're like to clicking on samples or doing some imaging sometimes mm. it's a little nice to get your mind off things and so basically I said okay well I do a lot of literature reviews and especially at the time in my group we would have uh, method of someone would pick a paper and then someone else would summarize it so I really like that kind of thinking mindset and so basically I needed a way to kind of digest uh some nanoscience or current literature and so that's where the idea for having lit updates came from so basically we have 10 minutes or under where we review a paper kind of discuss it and kind of break down sort of the very big complicated titles make it a little bit more accessible for other people to kind of listen to and other people such as myself like it doesn't have to be someone in advanced science it can be anyone that doesn't have a science background necessarily but kind of exposing them to different types of information that's also current research so and i really wanted to do something like that and so my friend Irfani, um soon to be dr Irfani osri said oh that's a great idea that keeps us current you know it keeps us aware of what's going on in the literature so far and it also you know keeps us sharp trying to 
disseminate the information in a simple way. That's actually a difficult skill to mm-hmm. achieve. It's something actually that's very difficult to do because a lot of the complex terminology people spend years trying to learn um, and then trying to rehash that in a more simple way is a little bit difficult. So we, she was on board. She said, yes, let's do it. And then from there, we actually have We'll do lit updates every three episodes. And then the fourth episode in the cycle will be kind of a nano life or an interview series where we interview someone that did nanoscience or nanotechnology or was exposed to it in some way. And we kind of see, okay, what did you do with this nano degree? It's such a broad term, nanotechnology and nanoscience. Like it involves chemistry, physics, biology, and there's no like set, okay, this is the field. This is what we do. It's so broad. It's such a huge landscape. And so we interview different people that do nano research or have done nano research and what they have done later on with their lives. So it's not like trying to expose like what you can do and what it can bring you. So, yeah, and it's a very fun way to keep current with what's going on in the world. You can give that a listen sometime too. No, definitely. It's actually very true, like you said, uh, about trying to condense it. You really have to understand (laughs) a work properly if you can explain it very simply then you know you understand the work <laughs> so that's exactly. very very cool i think yeah for uh for us starting the podcast as well i think that what you said staying current trying to yeah. work through yeah, that's articles a big yes that was um also very motivational because you're sharing it with someone else so you're not just keeping it to yourself so it's much more fun to learn and learn and uh, read and all that while you're sharing it with other people <laughs> Exactly. It's um, much more fun to learn. Yeah, exactly. What is it? Uh, how what, did you? Oh, sorry sorry to, to interrupt. I was just curious what it's been like for you with, with finding, say, uh, a guest or someone to, to have on the show or, or finding new topics. What is that, what is that process like for you when, when you and Irfani are, are deciding on a new idea and, and building a story like that? Yeah, so I'll, I guess the first one will be deciding on a topic. It's actually very difficult to decide on what to do our topic for the lit updates and deciding, okay, this is the paper, this is the lit the research we want to review. So lit as in literature, right? Um, but it is very good um, research and cool um, to, <laughs> to review. Um, and so that's actually very difficult because um, it'll be like, oh, this is this just happened last week, but this happened last month. And this is like um, an alternative to Kevlar was our most recent episode. So someone did nanoarchitectronics patterns that are much stronger than Kevlar and much lighter as well. So that's a different form of body armor protection using nanoscience. Um, so it's very actually difficult for us to pick a topic. Um, when it comes to that, but we'll usually say, okay, um, well, we haven't discussed something in mechanical engineering in a while, so let's do that. Or we've discussed biosensors quite frequently, so let's leave biosensors and hydrogels, not for this episode, we'll try to focus on something else, try to differentiate it as much as we can um, based on our interests, um, because everything is very awesome. Um, We're both very curious individuals about people's research. And I think um, another aspect that we take into consideration is not just doing uh, research from nature or science, not just the high impact journals going into, there's really good research in much smaller, lower impact factor journals that's there, that's not 
probably being recognized as much or coming from different parts of the world that's not maybe the US or Japan or those high profile places, Mm -hmm. right, that we maybe don't associate that much with research. So trying to give a lot more exposure to different institutions and different locations and different topics. And then so and then for the nano life series. So that is a little bit more difficult in terms of finding someone that will agree to discuss what they have done with nanoscience, because it seems like people will do it maybe as an undergraduate degree. We have that option here at a couple of universities to do nano background, but then they will differentiate themselves and then just do core chemistry, just do core engineering or something else. And then they don't really want to talk about it because they're like, I have bad memories of that. Um, so that is a little bit tricky because it seems like depend. usually it's a harder program. I'll say harder in bunny years. It was difficult for me because I liked more of the chemistry stuff and not so much the physics, but the physics was obligatory. You had to take some of those courses. And so it is, it's, it's tricky, but we do find kind people that do want to kind of share. And our most recent interview was someone that did nanoscience background and then said, no, I'm going to do a master's in math. And now they ended up as a software developer because they wanted to do programming. So, you know, <laughs> it, is, it really showcases the variety you can do with yes, a nano- the versatility. That's so true. <laughs> awesome. Well, speaking of career paths, how did you choose the career path that you are now on, uh, becoming a chemist and you know, where where were you, where were your interests when the in the beginning when you had to choose uh, in high school? Oh, I don't know if you called high school, but when you had to choose your subjects, and you know, how did you become who you are today? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and it's something you have to really reflect on sometimes once a certain amount of time has gone by. <laughs> and so we do have high school here, and um, you usually choose in the last usually your fall semester. um, So a year before you go into university, you're thinking about where to go. Um, But you've usually had certain prereq courses in grades 11 and 12. So we grow up up to 12 here um, that you need to prepare for if you wanted to be accepted to a certain university program. So if you wanted to do science, you need to just take certain science prereqs. Um, If you wanted to do humanities, you need all your writing and your English or language courses and that kind of thing. And so I decided on the nanoscience. So it was a nanoscience bachelor's degree. And that was kind of at the last minute, I watched a documentary saying, oh, this is the coolest form of science. It's up and coming. It was nano world or something like that. And it's felt so new in 2009. Um, But, and so it was, it seemed interesting and a brand new program came out at an institution nearby. So I felt like that was a good idea to kind of start my way. And the courses in first year are very general anyway. So if I didn't like the first year nanoscience intro course, and I didn't feel like it was for me, I could have always switched out, but I ended up liking it. So that was great. The people were amazing. We had small class sizes versus the bigger in the chemistry. So that kind of helped a little bit. And then I decided to do a minor in chemistry after taking an organic chem course in my third year. And so I decided on the organic chemistry or just chemistry minor at the very end of my degree. So uh, that's definitely something I would advise. A lot of people do say they're gonna do this major and this minor 
when they go into university fresh at 18 years old in high school. Um, but give yourself some time to kind of reflect and think about what you like and try out your first year and your second year. And then you can always do at my institution where I did my undergraduate anyway, you could declare your minor the semester before you graduated. So it gave me enough time to actually okay. say, hey, this is actually, I have enough prereqs. All I need is two more to get the minor. Then I might as well mm. do it. So that helped a lot <laughs> with figuring things out. Yeah. And then I met my master's supervisor through taking one of his courses. We got along very well. And then he said, why don't you do a master's with me? I said, oh, I'll think about it. But because he was a very kind person, we got along great. He was very inspirational, very, um, he, he really wanted me to kind of grow into the person or the chemist I could become. So I did my master's at the same institution, I did my undergraduate degree. And then from there, I went on to kind of mix chemistry. So I did organic chemistry as my master's. And then my undergrad was nanoscience. So then for my PhD, I put the two together. And it was organic materials chemistry. So that's where materials for the nano side, and then organic side, you still use in chemistry, where I used small molecules, which we can get into a little bit later. So basically, instead of making drug compounds, I made something similar, kind of using different types of carbons. And then I use them to align carbon nanotubes. Carbon nanotubes are a way of making faster transistors, one alternative to making faster transistors in the future. Transistors being, you know, the devices in our computers, cell phones, all our electronics, how they go really fast, how they transmit the signals. So if we can get faster technology, that makes all our lives kind of better. That's wonderful. So yeah, that's actually, that's so great to hear because it's good to hear that your career path wasn't just, you know, straightforward and you knew from when you were a child that you were going to be this. <laughs> I think a lot of students will be very glad to hear that. I know that my story, for instance, is the same I also started in first year completely different. I think I was going to be a sports scientist or a, a kinesiologist. A sports scientist. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And uh, luckily did the, the BSc to the chemistry part along mm -hmm. with that so I could change easily. And I think that's great advice. Like don't, it's very realistic. Like keep your options open. Don't pretend like you know what you're going to do or where you're going to be in 20 years or 10 years. Because um, you really just, yeah, you don't know. <laughs> and you, yeah, and you might discover fields along the way. And like polymer science, I think a lot of people, when they do chemistry, they don't even know what polymer science is yeah. until they get to the end of their undergrad. So, yeah, no, don't, don't put yourself in a box. Um, so I just want to know, can you tell me a bit more about your PhD work? Um, what was the main aim of the research? I think you've mentioned it briefly, but just want to get into that a bit more. Yeah, of course. And so yeah, the main goal was the transistor applications. And so the carbon nanotubes, they can come, they're basically very, very tiny tubes. So this is a 3D printed one, but it's not to scale. So oh, wow. uh, maybe we're thinking a billion times smaller. 
And so basically you have that honeycomb shape in that tube-like structure. And you have, is a very, very thin layer, a billion times smaller than a honeycomb, of course. And so these can conduct electricity in different ways. And so they, some of them actually can behave like metals and some maybe like a semi-metal, like a semiconductor. So they can conduct electricity in different ways, depending on their shape and how in a straight line they are. So if they're all curvy and all bent up and all in a bundle, well, they're not really going to conduct the signals very well. So you want to get them all straight. You don't want them looking like spaghetti or anything. You want nice straight alignments and arrangements of your tubes so that they can work well. And so that's basically for the transistor application parts. That's what you want for sensors. It's a little bit different. But in, for transmitting the signals between your source and the drain, that's what you were looking for. And so basically, I tried to do that using small molecules, which are molecules made out or using organic chemistry. So organic chemistry, when we're talking about that, I, I guess if they're your regular listeners, they're familiar with polymers and all that. So usually you use yes. long carbon changes in your case. Well, here I'm, I broke it down in just one of those little monomers and not making any chains for my PhD research. And that is, um, you know, organic chemistry, not the kind of organic from, you know, your supermarket when you go get your vegetables, <laughs> just, just focusing on your carbons here, making the small molecules. Those molecules actually had a tweezer shape. So they had a little bit of a V shape. So basically you could kind of they could would connect with the tube like structure and then they would align it. And so the alignment came from liquid crystals. So that's another various component as part of my PhD research. But yeah, aligning carbon nanotubes for transistor electronic applications is the big wow. umbrella. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's amazing. Incredible. And, and I was wondering if you could, I, I like that you elaborate a little bit with how, how they are aligned. That was one of my questions with the liquid crystals. Can you talk more about why that's important? Why is it important for these carbon nanotubes to be more or less aligned with each other as opposed to like a an amorphous polymer noodle, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So basically there's the different types. So you want to differentiate those different types. So we want for the transistor, which is a switch, you want to be able to turn it off and on. You don't want to just have it on all the time. That would be a pretty useless switch. So we wanted to select for the semiconducting ones and those depended on the actual structure and shape we had of the tweezer because certain diameters, since they're a tube shape, so they had different diameters. So we selected for diameters that would be the most likely ones in our solution being the semiconducting variety that would work basically as the silicon transistors, which are the ones that are in all our cell phones and computer chips. And so there's that selectivity there and then arranging them all in a straight line. So basically, I would mix a liquid crystal, which is a kind of solution that it is at room temperature. It's kind of more on the solid gooey side, but not completely a solid. So it does have a little bit of alignment or orientation in that solution structure. So basically mixing in those small molecules that I had, my small tweezer molecules with the liquid crystal, that would actually go 
on to, okay, so I do have an example here. Okay, so the liquid crystals would go into uh, a, a template that was already aligned. And so it would have like already lines for the liquid crystal to arrange itself. And then the small molecules that were mixed in, then those would align with the liquid crystal itself. And then they would actually covalently bond with the surface that we had. Mm -hmm. So because the surface we had was silicon, uh, so SiO2, unoxidized silicon, the silica, and then the ending of the small molecules was a component that could actually covalently bond, so very, very strong bond to the surface. And so having that uh, bonding to the surface very strongly, like sticking like glue, and then we would have the tweezers structure, like the V structure there, and we would have many, many, so they would be all arranged in a row. And so, which we can confirm through the orientation of the tubes. The tubes would not orient through this system if we didn't have the molecules themselves in a straight line. So that's how we kind of confirm through AFM and SEM, these advanced imaging softwares, if this technique was actually working. So overall, this is called ART, Alignment Relay Technique, ART. And uh, yeah, so that's basically the gist of how we use multi-components in chemistry and material science to try to solve this very, very needed um, solution in electronics. Yeah. Amazingly clever. And, uh, how long was your PhD? How long did you study your PhD? Uh, so four years. Um, so in North America, typically four to five years. Um, because yes. I did a master's, it was a little bit faster. Um, but overall, so that's six years of post-grad, I guess. So not really yes. that much faster if you put it in that perspective. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, some people, they do direct transfer from their master's to a PhD to try to get done in five years. And, you know, sometimes they do that and it takes six or seven years because the research, you can't control research pretty much. Yeah. So I was able I'm very to glad you say that. yes. I'm very glad because, um, yeah, that's the thing. They're in South Africa, they give you three years and then you're like, no, but I think it's just because of uh, it's, it's a motivational deadline. And mm -hmm. if you can make it in three years, go for it. But it's OK if it's five. <laughs> yeah. 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 Three is very then, I know Europe as well does three years. But it yes. is, here we have the re almost a requirement that you do need to have publications. And exactly. Like self-authored, you're at least for a first author yourself. Yeah. So that adds a little bit, you know, to there's the no way to juggle all that and do a, like a full-time laboratory work in yeah, and that's such a short time. But yeah, and like you said, you having a team is the best thing. Like if you have supporting people with you that can help you as well. That's great. Yes. Yeah, jumping in it alone is is not something uh -uh. I would be able to do. But um, yeah, I think it's a misconception that PhD work needs to be solo. That it's just you and your project. It doesn't have to be like that. But yeah, um, I actually just want to also note you uh, mentioned that. Just this is just maybe a quick question off yeah, topic. Yeah, of but yeah. do you know if carbon nanotubes are they the best? Uh, transistors or the best uh, material for that purpose or is there other materials that are also commonly used for the same purpose 
Yeah, so there, it, they, the carbon nanotubes are only one solution to the problem. You can actually do different combinations of metals or even uh, MOFs and COFs. You can just sort of combine them in a way. You can different, use different sorts of organic polymers as well. There are conductive polymers that you could use as a substitute. Um, so there's many different options. This is just one solution. However, the benefits of using the CNTs is they, they do have high durability. And so basically, again, when you compare them to the current silicon transistors, which we're trying to get smaller and smaller. Um, so I think right now we have a five nanometer transistor in the current iteration of an iPhone. So five nanometers is a very, very tiny gap be, um, to allow for that conductivity. But with carbon nanotubes, I, I guess the trick is with the silicon is that if you get them so close together, you're not really going to get the switching that's going to that you're going to you want in your actual switch turning on and off. So mm. with the CNTs, you can actually have more power going through your system, but at, a, at 10 nanometers at a, even a, a longer length. So but you can get the equivalent of power dissipation and the overall um, the electronic capabilities of your device. Yes at a awesome. larger time frame. So if you scale it down even further, well, then your device is actually better with the CNTs, carbon nanotube, than it is with the silicon. Okay, well, thank you. That's great. And then also, um, you mentioned SIM, scanning electron microscopy, which is something I do for a living. <laughs> and I actually just wanted to know, how did you like that part of the podcast? Was it really a, a, an uh, immense part of your um, project or did you just briefly use it for characterization? Yes, so as I mentioned, uh, one of the ways we could tell this carbon nanotubes were aligned was through microscopy methods, so AFM and SEM. So it's interesting that you call it a SEM, so different parts of the world call it differently. Here we actually spell it like SEM, we call them SEMs, and people get confused when someone, like I had someone say, oh, we called it SEM where I was, and it's like, <laughs> wait, what are you talking about? I, but, I was um, actually a little confused just right now, I had to put it together. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly, okay. so it's also interesting how already different parts of the world call the same yes. instrument differently. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But very often, um, especially when I was making the actual devices. So there was not just synthesis as part of my project when I made the actual transistor devices to check if the nanotubes were in between the source and the drain and properly aligned. That was a lot of high resolution SEM that I was using for the most part to check if the nanotubes were aligned without the device. That was AFM atomic force microscopy because otherwise you really can't see the tubes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. So, but it takes so long to image. Imaging takes a lot of time and a lot of precision. Sometimes you don't get the right spot. Sometimes for AFM, you know, you don't have your tip is blunt. You have to change the tip. You have to realign the laser. You know, it yeah. takes a lot of time. You can't just say, oh, yeah, I'm going to image this in an hour or two. Yeah. Mm. Probably looking at your whole afternoon sometimes <laughs> until you get very good at telling. It seems you were recently still studying on an anti-pathogenic, did I say that right? Anti-pathogenic formulation. Are you able to tell us a little bit more about, about probably maybe not the formulation, but the work that you're doing and, and what, what it really means, you know? 
Yeah, of course. And yes, of course. And so antipathogenic. So basically, um, there's these tiny little microbes, um, and like bacteria and viruses. And a pathogen is something that will make you very, very sick out of them. So usually a lot of viruses, especially right now, you know, we have something that'll make us very, very sick. So that's considered a pathogen. The same with bacteria, you know, an E. coli infection or a staph infection that'll also get you sick. So those count as pathogenic. So the formulation is more on the antimicrobial side in terms that it kills actually everything on the surface, good and bad uh, bacteria or viruses, uh, not just the bad ones. So there's not really a selectivity there, but it's very interesting indeed um, to know that difference. I had to actually learn that as I was starting to work. And so basically the goal we had as a research team was to figure out a way of developing a material that could kill any type of microbe on contact and then be applied to different sorts of wearable textiles and fabrics, but still be, you know, safe for the user. So as you may have probably experienced, I guess, directly because of COVID, COVID brought really to the forefront the need of using a mask, a facial mask, different, uh, lots of gowns, and uh, gloves, as well as other barriers that we needed to use to protect us and reduce the spread of the virus. Um, so between people. And so with sanitizers, you have the fact that you have to put it directly on the skin uh, multiple times a day, and that kills a lot. Um, they're a hot commodity, but so are the face masks. So there was a lot of garbage being produced by all the disposable PPE, so personal protective equipment, which means um, that our intention was basically that we wanted to develop a product that could be environmentally friendly and safe in the form of a coating that could be applied to different type of PPE equipment and make it safe like at least safer for long, longer hours of use with a face mask, especially if you're in the medical environment, usually you're wearing it for about half a shift before it really stops working on you and stops being an effect, an effective barrier, um, because it gets so moist and so dirty and the, the bacteria builds up. So we wanted something that, uh, particularly medical professionals could wear for long periods of time and even allowing somewhat of a reuse because the formulation on the face mask could be killing all the bacteria on the surface very quickly. And so you could probably potentially have the reuse portion as well. So a little bit of an environmental aspect with that as well. Yeah, that is so important. I, I know a lot of people have noticed gloves, masks, all this random PPE strewn yes. about right it, it's kind yeah. of it's everywhere it's necessary that we use but also yeah. we got to do something about the trash problem so i i love this yeah. approach is there any existing uh anti-viral formulation that that is on ppe right now or are you amongst some of the first groups to sort of start trying this approach that's a great question and so there are other types of formulations out there especially in the mask space that are competing with that type of product, that antimicrobial face mask coating on a product. However, our team's goal was to try to, you know, use chemistry that was very, very safe for the environment and very sustainable, like a lot of green chemistry practices. So based on the components we put into it, 
from the very beginning, that was always at the forefront of our minds is also you need to make this coding that works very, very well and can compete with everyone else, but it has to be sustainable for the environment from the source materials up until the end of the lifetime of the product. Mm -hmm. So some competition, yes, but ours is a little on the green side as well. Good. Mm. Nice. That puts you ahead, we hope. Now, uh, another environmental project it seems you're working on, it looks like you're the, the lead developer for a product called Water Purus. Did I say that right? So Water Purus is the company itself. Okay. And so, yes, but they do develop or uh, we do develop different ways of, you know, tr- treating wastewater for and and use and in trying to just improve the overall quality of water because there are a lot of things that can, you know, don't exactly get filtered out and it's very difficult. So we need to apply different types of advanced material chemistry into that in a cheap way, cost-effective way in order to get appropriate wastewater treatment facilities. Mm -hmm. And this is separate from any of your, your postdoctoral research, right? This is, this is a, a a different branch of, of work entirely that you're, you're tackling with another team. Uh, Yes. So, uh, well, actually, so it is the same team uh, that we're kind of working together on it. It's just um, we have different kind of um, we're not siloed in any way from different types of projects that are going on in the group. We can actually um, work on different things depending on where the needs are and where the money is to where the funding comes (laughs) from. And so, yeah, so right now things are shifting a little bit. Um, so there's a, a different PPE antiviral team coming through. Um, we got the chemistry down so another team can kind of take over that way. And um, now the our hardcore researchers can actually are working on with water purists on advanced oxidation processes. So basically uh, advanced, different ways of purifying water. Yeah, that's so exciting that you have all these different... Um... Uh, approaches to 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 going through your career and I'm wondering if you have any other aspects you know aside from doing all of the research wonderful research that you do what are some other aspects among your within your career that uh, have really stood out to you that have been very very enjoyable oh so yeah um good great question and so I would say there are many aspects that I enjoyed so for instance building a network with awesome scientists Uh, across the world such as yourselves as well so definitely that is something I absolutely love and enjoy and I'm very lucky right now because you know technology allows for great communication across different spaces so and we can connect all across the world which is very exciting and without leaving my house so I'm still safe (laughs) safe from viruses which is great and um, I did spend almost about oh, a little over half a year in Japan last year where I learned so much about other ways of looking at life in general and other different types of work ethics and just basically how to go about research and how people treat each other. And so that's also very exciting. And I also enjoy very much tutoring students and working as a teaching assistant, at least during my graduate degrees. We That was something we had to do is teach in the labs. And so 
I think that as you teach, you also learn from your students themselves. So they, they're always students that are eager to learn. They're curious about the world and, you know, they kind of infect you with their enthusiasm. <laughs> so I think it was really great to interact with junior scientists across my own journey as a graduate student and as a researcher. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, uh, is there any advice you might have for those students if they are maybe wondering what kind of uh, science career path to get into? Maybe they're thinking about whether or not to even get into a postgrad degree. What might you have to say to those students? Yes, there's so many things. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I'd like to answer the question, I guess, in two ways. So first, for those that are you know young in age and are going directly into grad school, they will be presented with lots of opportunities to learn academics, probably, hopefully, travel internationally for the first time, maybe, attend conferences, do poster presentations. And those also represent a form of getting grabbing life lessons out of all of those opportunities. And it can be hard at times to manage time effectively and to keep your eye on your end goal, like keeping your eye on the ball. So that, that's something you have to kind of keep in the back of your head, like what is your end goal? So we all have to learn about keeping priorities, build confidence, especially in public, public speaking, I think is also very important. And, or, you know, a lot of students such as myself is manage funding. So, you know, you have a limited amount of resources, especially in North America, we have a set stipend. Sometimes we can get little scholarships on top of that, but you really need to manage, hey, this is how much you're putting into tuition. These are your living expenses. What can you do with the X amount of time and money? So I find many students can get distracted, especially first year. This is very tough because they need to write proposals, which can be really daunting. But, you know, I would say to them, these students, that when they get their degree, whether or not they get their degree really depends on them. They can make it a rewarding experience if they invest themselves and they focus. And also one important factor is don't feel it's too much FOMO, you know, um, fear of missing out. It's okay if you miss out on a party or two, you know, or many. <laughs> it's, it's not the end of the world. Keep your end goal in mind. Go through school, you know, I know it's your 20s. I know you feel like, okay, maybe you're missing out on stuff. There's lots of distractions, especially at the usual age range where people do um, their grad or undergrad degrees. So try to keep a healthy lifestyle on top of everything, body, mind, soul, you know, it's tough. Uh, it's, but, and it's not impossible. Uh, things can be tough. So just remind yourself that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and you can get through this and the reward will come later. Um, so that was my first, I guess, sort of very well thought out answer to that question. <laughs> I have been through a lot of that yeah. and, you know, it's tough. It and was I'm all sure very relatable. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. I'm sure you both have as well. And so the other a part of my answer is for the students that, you know, maybe very young at heart and have decided to start out a new degree or simply want to to learn about chemistry or any other science. You know, you don't have to be a set age um, to do things. You can always do things whenever you have the time or the opportunities to do so. So first of all, if you're one of those that are young at heart and starting to do a new path in life, 
first of all, good for you and uh, very inspiring. And to, you know, I'd let those students know that they bring a unique point of view to academic work. It's not just a cookie cutter or I went just undergrad and immediately did my grad school. You know, you have a little bit of life experience there that you can share and inspire others. And it's very, very helpful. And science is benefited from all sorts of new approaches and ideas. So post-grad work can be very, very rewarding for any type of student at any stage of their life. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. yeah. Excellent advice. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> now, yes. is- Is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that we skipped over and that maybe you would like to mention before we we end this off? No, I don't want it to end. (laughs) (laughs) So I just that there are a lot of research opportunities out there, but there's also a lot of competition. So it's important to, you know, keep it, keep things real, be honest with yourself and try to move forward by learning how to do good science. Okay. Uh, don't no plagiarism, no uh, copying other people's data, no um, fudging results or something or making stuff up. You focus on, on the good science. I know it's hard. It's very difficult, but keep your integrity, um, but also be creative, creative and research or creativity and research is very important. Um, Learning and applying is great and taking ideas from maybe different aspects of science or engineering or different different maybe anthropology even or archaeology. You can find good ideas anywhere, right? It doesn't have to be like you're set, oh, this is chemistry or this is polymers or this is where I have to be. Mm. And so trying things, different perspectives or approaches when it's possible, not always possible, but try your best. And, you know, this takes time. So don't expect things to happen in one day. I know we all want it to happen in like an hour, but unfortunately it takes time. That's why it's called research because you search and research. <laughs> and so, yeah, that basically, it, that basically is it. Uh, it sums up my advice to those listening. Oh, thank you so yeah, much. Thank you. Yeah, no, that is really true. And I'm, I'm really glad you said all those things. I think people needed to hear that. Um, and just finding the balance you know just also looking for the answers outside of the lab going to for a job doing your like being with your family you find your solutions to your problems in the weirdest places where you would never think they would come from so (laughs) that's great advice thank you so much and thank you for your time and for like talking to us so openly and um just sharing all your wonderful work in, in your phd and throughout your whole life just trying to get to where you are now. It was really it's fascinating to hear about that. It's a lot of trying. Really yeah, it. just trying. <laughs> no, wonderful. Thank you very much, Monica. Yeah, thank you really so appreciate much. that. Thank you, so thank yes. you for being thank you yes. for being on our first do it. Do it, yeah. And so, um, because I came on your podcast, both of you should oh, yes. eventually come on my podcast. Yeah, so absolutely. I hope uh, you'll come for a Nano Life interview and just talk about, you know, how you got to where you are. Um, oh, and I look forward to learning and hopefully collaborating, maybe not just podcast wise, yeah, research wise. Yeah. Since you're, you're working in uh, water, you're, like water treatments and things, that's basically what my PhD was all about. So I wouldn't mind. Yeah. <laughs> and Jacob... send you samples to image and, you know, use yeah. Skills. Uh, yeah. I would love that. Yeah. And Jacob is finishing up his PhD. Mm-hmm. So 
he's in the lab and studying and he's ready to go ready to go is right writing a lot uh, right now (laughs) the last the last throws my last year the last year oh my gosh so lots of hills and valleys at the moment (laughs) every hour it's like ups and downs yeah we empathize Mm -hmm. very much yeah light at the end of the tunnel it'll it'll get there there. yeah it's there it's there and you might be able to travel by the end of your once you're finishing properly so Mm -hmm. look forward to the next trip i hope you enjoyed this conversation it was certainly a fun one Please let us know what you think about it by emailing us to polymerciencepodcast at gmail.com. Also remember to share and subscribe if you liked it. Thank you for listening.